0: Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Here's an interesting little uh, fun fact about the palms that we wave, uh, that we wave every Palm Sunday. Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention no palms being waved as Jesus enters Jerusalem only in the Gospel of John that we read this morning do palms get waved and for John this detail highlights the fact that the people in Jerusalem were attempting at that time to coronate a political savior a warrior king in the tradition of King David centuries earlier but John the writer here, is about to show us that the king that the people seek in Jesus is indeed a king, but quite unlike any they are expecting or wanting, at least yet. You see, in a situation like this where there is something akin to a spontaneous coronation going on, a warrior king would enter Jerusalem riding a stallion, a war horse. Well, Jesus is riding no animal at first at all as they're waving the palms, but after the palms have been waved, Jesus will find a young donkey, sit on it, and ride it. It is quite likely at that time that more than a few palms were laid down as people looked at each other and said, Huh? a donkey this <laughs> is a little humble for a king isn't it oh yes jesus rides a donkey in the other gospels for sure but in the other gospels jesus finds the donkey before he rides in the parade and the hosannas begin only in john does jesus find and ride the donkey after he has entered and people have already shouted hosanna Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the way, Jesus, we need to get you a proper stallion. So you get this complete 180 all of a sudden. The donkey coming after the palms are waved is John's way of framing the donkey as a corrective to the popular perception of Jesus as political Messiah and warrior king who is about to flex his muscles, his pipes, his guns. The donkey, then, would only confuse everyone, including the disciples themselves. You see, Jesus is most certainly not a political messiah and warrior king. He is rather the king who embodies the vision of Zechariah 9, prophet in the Old Testament, where it says, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. Then the Lord will appear over them. On that day, the Lord their God will save them. So, you see, Jesus comes not as a conquering hero, but rather as the presence of God among them, indeed a presence that will save them from their war horses, tools of destruction, and warlike ways. Is it any wonder the crowd turned on him? They were expecting a king with a bit of worldly muscle, the man they thought would be the next King David is then put to death without a fight. The one thought to be a Savior sent from God is killed like a common criminal. And so, in just days after the palms were waved, Jesus would be defeated and would be a defeated and dying man on the cross with the sarcastic inscription above him, King of the Jews. So, with not an ounce of resistance by the king or even one of his followers, not even one engaging in battle, this all kind of refutes his kingship, doesn't it? It did for the crowd. Yet for the writer of the fourth gospel, there is irony in the fact that the sign is absolutely correct, though Pilate didn't intend it, what he declared would stand, the king of the Jews, is correct, but in no ways, but in ways that no one understood he was a king. Contrary to, to his death disqualifying Jesus to be king, it is Jesus' death that establishes him as king and is God's presence on earth. Another 180. It's as simple as this. For us to be saved, God had to die. Which is why Jesus said shortly after entering Jerusalem, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But again, he, he didn't mean coronations and parties and honors and awards. He meant dying. But, but what could be less glorious, more gruesome, and more soul crushing than a man's crucifixion, especially a man who would be king? Glory here, however, and this word pops up all the time in John, means that God's heart is revealed. God's love comes to full expression. God's will is fulfilled. That's what glory means. And our relationship to God changes forever. You see now, from this point forward, God is invested in our existence, even in its most desperate state. God's been there. He's been there. Jesus also said shortly after they all waved palms. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Again, when he's talking about being lifted up from the earth, we automatically think, well, he's talking about going to heaven and um, after the resurrection and all that. He means being lifted up. On the cross and lifted up from the earth. When he's up on the cross, he will draw all people to himself. You ever thought of it that way? We will be gathered all over again, and there we will find a God who, as one of us, bears with us and for us all the brokenness and pain that we know in this world, so that. Our brokenness will not crush us, so that we will never be alone in our brokenness, so that life will rise again and death will not claim us. At this point, it's worth reminding ourselves where our story began and why this intervention was necessary. The very first first story in the Bible about we humans is the story where Adam and Eve try to become more like God. Right With the serpent's help, they learn to distrust God. Maybe God is holding us back, they think, to make us dependent on him. What if we really don't need God very much, but we can just sort of do the stuff that we need to do on our own? And then like Icarus with artificial wings who flew too high and too close to the sun, Adam and Eve's attempt at upward flight to God melted away their wings of deluded aspiration. The result was a crash landing that left them spiritually maimed and just as doomed as Icarus. Human trying, humans trying to upgrade to God's level. Didn't work then and it doesn't work now. It wasn't an upgrade. Didn't make us better, only made us worse and also brought a curse. From dust you came and to dust you will go. Most people think that our salvation is won by us becoming more like God when it's actually. The opposite. It's recognizing that we can't ascend, but God can descend and did, and that is our salvation. So it's not whether we can climb the ladder of righteousness or goodness and improve our mettle, rather, it's whether we are open to the, to the gift, the ultimate gift of God with us even at our worst. Today, we see in its most pure form what people really need. Not becoming more like God. On the contrary, God becoming more like us. Even becoming us. Experiencing the worst that we can experience. That includes we are reminded today, dying in the worst possible way. A slow, sadistic death where just about everyone abandons you. When God decided to become one of us, God went all the way. And why on earth would God elect to do such a thing? Because the world we've created for ourselves Is born out of the distrust in God that we first saw in Adam and Eve and extends to our attempts to play God and prove how good we are. As a result, we are broken, all of us. Broken to pieces, just like our favorite nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty, which is a brilliant fable about the brokenness of human beings. You know how it goes Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, huh? And you know Humpty's prognosis, right? All the king's horses and, all, and even the war horses. And all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. So if this is the mess we're in, why would God become Humpty Dumpty and become broken beyond repair even unto death? Because God loves us. God wants to gather us again and draw us to himself and restore the relationship between God and us. And that relationship can only be restored by one word, trust, or faith, which means pretty much the same thing. The faith, the trust, to let God be God and carry our burdens. To let God be God and give to us the abundant life that comes from God and God only and is even greater than death. And this trust, this faith, isn't so much something we do as it is a state of being, a gift to us. And so, in the midst of our trying, difficult human existence, people may assure us at various times that we should just trust God, you know, Which prompts the question from most people at certain times. How do I know I can trust God? Well, look at the cross. Or this question. How how do I know God cares about what what I go through? Look at the cross. Or this question. How can God understand at all what I go through? Little old me and my miserable, broken existence. After all, God is way up there. How can God understand what I go through? Look at the cross. Jesus' death literally has the power to restore faith and trust, to recreate our relationship with God. For John, Jesus' passion is... Not proof that he is no king at all, but the very reason that he is the true king. And then after three days, something wonderful happened. Amen.